0: Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab. I am your host, Mitch Robbins, and I'm the founder and managing director of a company called the Anthony Michael Group, where we help organizations across the life sciences, primarily medical device, digital health, and diagnostics companies to build best-in-class technical teams, areas like regulatory affairs, quality, uh, engineering, et cetera, uh, while obviously simultaneously helping candidates advance and enhance their careers. And the MedTech Talent Lab, uh, I'm proud to say we bring you best-in-class leaders directly from the industry uh, to talk about all things talent-related, whether that's building high-performing teams or talking about trials, tribulations, and success stories of these folks so that you can learn from their experience, and follow in their footsteps. Uh, I'm excited about today's guest. We are joined by Mr. Tim Marjanin, who is the uh, Vice President of Neurology Regulatory Affairs at a company called Micra. Uh, Tim has his bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering. Uh, and prior to joining Micra, MCRA, he worked for the FDA for 16 years as a scientific reviewer and then as an assistant director, or formerly known as a branch chief, over the Neural Stimulation Devices Branch. Um, So Micra is a a leading industry specialized multi-service integrated business that assists clients in the entire technology lifecycle from R&D through commercialization. Uh, The company's core clientele consists of all arenas of of medical devices with a concentrated focus on neuromusculoskeletal healthcare, including all industry sub-niches, orthopedics, cardiology, tissue regeneration, digital health, wound care, IBD, etc. One of the things that I really appreciate uh, about Tim's philosophy is that his whole goal really is is driven by uh, helping to provide a more efficient, transparent, and understandable process in order to uh, help facilitate timely access to new devices. So that was a mouthful. Without further ado, uh, Tim, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mitch. Yeah, I appreciate uh, the depth of experience that you have, um, especially in the regulatory space and and kind of what the mission and vision is for MICRA as a whole. Um, And I I really want to, the reason I have you today is because there are just so many constant changes going on within the regulatory space and quality for that matter that organizations are trying to keep up with these days, whether it be the whole FDR transition and that kind of opens up a whole can of worms or the constantly evolving FDA regulations. And I think a lot of companies, I know that Micra, you guys help companies anywhere from startup through, you know, major worldwide known brands uh, in the med device industry. But I know that regardless of where you're at as a company, you have decisions to make in terms of what type of consultant do we need? How do we pick a consultant? um, You know, should we bring this in-house? Should we outsource it? All these different types of questions that organizations are faced with. And I think you represent a a great voice uh, to talk about and and address some of these things for companies, not only because of your FDA experience and kind of seeing different scenarios, but of course, because of the consulting work that you yourself are doing uh, at Micra. So if it's good with you, man, let's just jump right in. Let me ask you some questions and I'd love to get your advice. Yeah, let's go for it. So if you yourself were selecting a, a consultant, especially in regulatory affairs, what would you want to ask prospective consulting partners? And I, I know that's a big
1: question, but yeah, jump, jump right in and let's break it down. I mean, every, everybody's going to have their own laundry list of, of things that they're going to be looking at. Certainly, I, I'd say experience is probably the biggest one that I imagine a lot of people are, are looking at uh, in terms of just what sort of regulatory affairs experience do you have did you work for the FDA? I, I tend to, I tend to think that that's generally an even bigger plus than having um, just some regulatory affairs experience. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I also wouldn't say that it's necessarily a limiting factor. If you don't, if you haven't worked for the FDA in the past, I've worked with a number of consultants in, in my role at FDA and some of them were, were really quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Not having FDA experience certainly isn't a disqualifier in in many respects. Um, Certainly, having experience with the particular device type that you're looking at, um, that really can help a lot because there are often lots of nuances around just kind of what might be available with regards to guidance documents or consensus standards, other sorts of policies and precedents that might be in place and even just team dynamics the the um, the individual review teams that you might be working with so that's that's certainly another thing to to keep in mind also obviously fees and billing how all of that works that's that's something that you're going to be looking at you just want to know and and know up front kind of what what's that going to look like in terms of what are the fees how are you going to be billed um, for a particular project and it's going to vary from from place to place so it's how that how that influences your decision it's going to be largely dependent on the individual company but at least you you get a sense for what what's out there for you another big one I'd say is just kind of what is your approach to a project are you the sort of are you the sort of consultant or firm where you just get a bunch of stuff and, from a potential client or from a, an existing client and at the end of a certain period of time they just hand you a draft and say this is what we're sending to the FDA or even Here's what we just sent to the FDA for you versus maybe something is a little more collaborative where you're wanting to kind of get into, okay, what are you trying to accomplish here? Kind of level setting and establishing expectations up front um, and just kind of going through the process and and working through, okay, here's here's what we're going to be writing. Here's what you're going to be writing. Having regular check-ins as necessary, trying to limit those as much as possible because those are the sorts of things that can that can eat up time, depending on how you're being billed. Um, and just kind of there, so there are a whole bunch of different things uh, to consider from just kind of a an approach to projects, and it kind of runs the gamut between everything from just we want to really collaborate with you, um, and just and just do and just kind of work through the process with you, uh, and at the other end just. Here's a bunch of uh, documentation, Mister or Mrs. Consultant. Um, mm-hmm. Here's so just tell, let us know when you're done. Um, communication with FDA would probably be another another big one. Like, what sort of a relationship do you have with the FDA if you've worked with with a with certain review teams in the past? By and large, it's I mean it's it's not really an adversarial sort of thing, but you do want to understand. Just kind of how they how they've communicated with FDA in the past. How have those interactions been? Has there been anything that that's been um, not necessarily contentious, but um, have you had to deal with some difficult discussions with the agency in the past? Just something to be aware of. And then probably one that uh, I've I've been asked somewhat, but not terribly much, is availability. Mm. So. Certainly, everybody's really busy um, and you want to make sure that, well, if you want to kick something off next week, is the consultant that you're looking at going to be able to accommodate that? That may not be as big of a factor if you're dead set on just working with that person regardless of what their availability might be. But again, you do want to know kind of going in because that's going to affect your overall project timeline. Big time.
0: So a couple of questions for you. How do you really vet if somebody, if, if a company is saying, a consultant, uh consultancy is saying, yes, you know, we've got a good relationship with the FDA. Here's some of the things you've done. How does a company really vet whether or not they do have that relationship that they say they
1: have? Any thoughts on that? I think a lot of it is just going to boil down to trust, to be yeah. quite honest with you. There's yeah. really there's really not much of a better way to go about uh To go about looking into that there there might be some just kind of rudimentary things where you can kind of look at maybe when is when a submission um when something was submitted relative to when it was cleared or approved at least in the marketing submission space Mm -hmm. Um, but there's obviously going to be very little that's public about a lot of the documents that you can just go ahead and do some digging on your own you're just going to have to Basically, trust what the consultant is saying when when they tell you that that they have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Has it ever been? Um, you know, and I, I know
0: that you recently trans—you personally recently transitioned from the FDA about a year ago or so. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Has it has it ever been looked at as um, a deficit versus a benefit that you come from the FDA, or do you think have you known it to be a deficit where people maybe think well? You know, maybe their line of thought is not as diverse or not as open as maybe somebody who comes from the FDA who's used to seeing this stuff all the time in a certain way.
1: So, a, a deficit in the sense that that it's a deficit for somebody to leave the FDA and then become a consultant. They're almost kind of
0: so every time I've seen, it, I've seen it, as a major bit. benefit, I've seen it as mm-hmm. as companies look at it as a major benefit. While they're they've got the inside track, they know how the FDA thinks, they know what goes on behind closed doors, they, they understand, you know, how to fast track something and really can be a benefit to us. I'm just wondering if it's ever been presented as a as not a benefit where maybe it's, you know, a sil- a uh, one-track way of thinking versus more open-minded because you are so used to seeing it from an FDA's uh, point of view. I, th- I thought I'd throw that out there because I've never thought of it that way. And I was just curious.
1: It's an, it's an interesting question and i think that's going to depend on the individual and so getting back to your question about how what are the what are the sorts of questions that you might ask i mean if you if you really want to if you really want to turn it into an interview with a potential consultant that you might be using you can you can get into like okay how like how do you how do you work like what's what's your collaboration style with with certain individuals Um, Like when you're trying to, when you're trying to figure out something that you haven't dealt with before, what's your, what's your approach trying to get to the, trying to most efficiently get to a good solution, even if, even if it's not necessarily the best solution. Um, Those are the sorts of things that, again, if, if you have concerns and you really want to get into that, that level of questioning, that's fine. I'd say in general. If you're talking, especially if you're talking about management, um, then you're then you're people who are formerly managers at FDA. Then you probably don't have all that much of one-track thinking, just because they're. I mean, they're exposed to so much more just mm-hmm. just in terms of the the different discussions that might be happening. They have a much wider um, breadth of experience when it comes to the different submissions and devices and issues that might come up. So you would tend to think that there should be less of that. Sure. Okay. I, well,
0: one of the things I loved about what you said is trying to vet out what types of, it's, it's one thing to um, be collaborative. It's a, another thing to have the uh, device experience, another thing to have, you know, um, uh, the, r- the right fees. It's a whole other thing to have the experience when things go south or things are tough. And how do you work through that with the FDA or the other health authorities? And what type of experience do you have centered around that? I love that. You know, talk about when it didn't go right. Tell us about difficult conversations that you've had to have and how'd you work through it and what was the outcomes? I love that because that should hopefully give a business some comfort that, okay, if things aren't as rosy as, you know, that are probably not going to be, when times get tough and we're relying on this consultant for their expertise, what is the experience centered around that piece? I love it. Love it. Um, what do you think startups get wrong? When it comes to, you know, eh, that's a huge question, but when it comes to, you know, the consulting piece, whether it's, um, you know, what they've done on their own and kind of how they accidentally uh, make consulting consultants lives more difficult, just based on, you know, trying to kind of fix what before you can move forward or the timing of when to engage a consultant from your perspective, what what do you feel like they get wrong?
1: It's an interesting way to to think about it if you're trying to put it in terms of what startups get wrong. I would almost tend to think about it in terms of what they fail to realize they should have started a little bit earlier on. Mm. So when it comes to the basic regulatory side of things, I would tend to say that there's hardly ever a time to, to... where it's too early. And so, I mean, I've I've talked to a number of startups and, and they've been in the very early stages, one that was maybe like two weeks old. Um, so that's really early. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong time. It just might mean that, well, there's not necessarily much at that point um, to talk about just yet. But at least at that point, you're establishing that there could be a relationship and that as you're thinking, as you're kind of going through the development process and you're thinking about, well, what are some of the FDA touch points um, that we might need to consider, then you can start thinking about, well, we can at least have a couple of um, ad hoc phone calls to talk about what, what some of the plans might be, what some good touch points might be. And then you can go from there and it can, and it can build and it can snowball um and then it'll just naturally grow i'd say the one thing that so the in my mind the benefit of being at a, at a place like micro are other firms that have kind of those those multidisciplinary um, functions in terms of whether it be a cro or um, quality assurance or regulatory or reimbursement arms is that um i know what i don't know and I've learned enough to be able to say, hey, have you thought about how you might get reimbursement for this or what, mm-hmm. what sort of reimbursement pathway you might be looking at? Because it's one thing to get through FDA. It's another thing to get paid for what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that, I, that I've seen and uh, the time that I've been here is that there's, there's not necessarily, or at least maybe it's not communicated to me, um, much, how much consideration there is for reimbursement. Hmm.
0: Where it's almost like, okay, we're working with the consultant because we want to figure out how to get onto the market, but not necessarily having the, the global view of, okay, hey, assuming that we get this approved and we're commercialized, how are we going to actually get reimbursed?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Total product life cycle in FDA's eyes is, is one thing where you're talking mostly about kind of the development cycle and how you're how you're ensuring that you you're running the right studies, you're collecting the right uh data and you're getting approved and then you're using the post market data to feedback into into the development of the next iteration of that device. That's a totally different thing from thinking about kind of the reimbursement side which FDA just doesn't do. Mhm.
0: Right, exactly. How often is a, a startup that you're working with, how often do they have either a regulatory and or quality person on their staff full-time already versus how much they're leaning on uh, the consultant partnership to, to handle that piece uh, sing- single-handedly?
1: Who that's a good question. I'm totally going to ballpark this, but I'd say mm-hmm. it's probably probably. S- 60 forty that they don't have a dedicated person or maybe somebody who's who's got a little bit of experience and is, and is doing wearing a number of different hats mm. um, but don't quote me on that
0: well I'm just wondering so would you say that more often than not with these earlier stage companies because I see it too in our own in our own uh, search business you know a lot of times regulatory quality is not necessarily part of the you know very early early phase of um, full-time employees, usually it's outsourced. So would you say that more often than not, these earlier stage companies, you are you guys are doing a lot more of the strategy, a lot more of the heavy lifting as far as submissions and documentation, all that stuff, whereas later stage, these much bigger
1: companies are more so outsourcing the overflow of work that they just cannot handle? I'd
0: say that's,
1: that's, reasonable, that's a reasonably good characterization.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay. How busy just out of curiosity as a side note, how busy have you guys been with helping companies with this whole uh, MDR transition? Has it been a lot of that work?
1: So that's kind of the nice thing. I only have to deal with the US regulatory oh, nice. structure. We have a we have a group that's dedicated to the international regulatory considerations. Wow. I imagine they've been they've been kept quite busy with all of the, yeah, all of the MDR changes. That's I mean, real. I so can't, I can't really
0: That uh, that's pretty cool. How niche that you guys really are, and how how specialized um, the the organization is. One of the criteria that that you had mentioned when I asked you, hey, what's some of the questions or considerations uh, when choosing consultants? You mentioned fees and billing. Mm -hmm. How much do you see that coming into play in terms of the defining the deciding factor versus some of the other stuff that you said? How often does it come down Mm -hmm. to fees, where you either uh, where perhaps you lost business or that you found out that that is one of the uh, main criteria?
1: I'd, in my experience and just my limited experience yeah. over the course of the past year, I, I'd say it's been fairly rare that, that the decision to work with us or not work with us has come down to fees. Um, and uh, that could be for any number of reasons. Um. I'd say that in general when I'm getting on the when I'm getting on the phone with the prospective client I'm basically telling them look you can use us as much or as little as you want but if you yep. if you want it if you want to just have like a 2 hour phone call I'll try and make sure you get as much value as possible out of that 2 hour phone call
0: Yep Yeah I'm glad to hear you say that actually because um I think that there's so much riding on the line especially in regulatory you know that it's obviously critical it's make or break more often than not keeping a product on the market getting the product on the market the right overall arching strategy the overarching strategy for the long term how it integrates with some of the other components that like you were saying that it has to be taken into account um so I'm glad to hear you say that it's not necessarily something that comes up as as the deciding factor I'm going to put you on the hot seat for a minute, though. What, what, in your opinion, what is the number one factor that should be considered when choosing a consultant?
1: Communication skills. Because hmm. really, if if you don't have good communication skills, uh, that's just going to sink the entire enterprise. Because that's that's when you can maybe maybe you forget to. Um, really explain just how that fee structure works or maybe you're not maybe you you kind of fail to establish good expectations up front for a particular project about how the process is going to look and then mm-hmm. things fall behind and you're not really communicating well about okay what's what's left or all of a sudden you have a bunch of more pot work piling up that has to put the current project on the back burner even more so it I, and I, this is, it was kind of my approach at FDA as well, that, that so much kind of lived and died by good communication skills. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I would almost, when you first said that, I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to push back on this guy. I'm going to say, come on, that's too, that's too vague. And then the more you started talking, the more I realized, you know what, you're, you, you're absolutely uh, on the mark because the truth is, not only is it communication, but I think it comes down to procedures and systems that the consultant has in place. Because if they're not setting the right expectations, they don't know, the client doesn't know what to expect, right? Meaning that how do you have a satisfied client? You have a satisfied client by setting the right expectations and enforcing those expectations along the way. Uh And if you don't have good systems and procedures in place to define those and lay those out and you just kind of take on the work haphazardly, I think it's a lose-lose for everybody. So I really do, I do agree with you. I also like what you said as far as the fee structure. How, okay, how does that work? How are we charging? What does that mean as far as how we're going to partner together, right? Is it hourly billing? Is it by the project? If it's by the project, what does that include? If it's by the hour, what is that? Are my billing like an attorney where every little phone call and every little email is, you know, billed? Um, or, you know, do I get a certain amount with, that is kind of a grace. So I think you're absolutely right. All of that 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 I just kind of rambled out there is uh, underpinned by communication. Interesting. So this is an interesting question that's been on my mind for a while, especially in the earlier phases where an organization is really truly counting on that collaboration and counting on the consultant to be the advocate on behalf of the company with these health authorities. Mm Where where do you believe the consultant's responsibility ends versus the, the actual organization? Because you've got a lot of responsibility in the hands of a consultant if they're the ones who are negotiating with the FDA or another health authority on their behalf. But at the end of the day, it's the, it's the company's product, it's the company's uh, liabilities, the company. So that's where this question comes from, is where do you feel like the consultant's responsibility
1: ends versus the, the organization's? Well, I mean, that come, kind of comes back to communication and what you talk about with the client in terms of it. like, look, this, you can, and you can be upfront to say, look, this is, this is where, where my comfort level is with representing you. Obviously, I don't have all of the, all of the detailed insights into your manufacturing processes and, and some of those other design aspects. So, I'm just trusting you to know what you're talking about with all of those things and be able to address questions like that. I'll absolutely be able to go to bat for you when it comes to talking to FDA about the regulatory issues and why I might feel differently about a deficiency that that you were sent um, or things like that. But again, so again, it it might be, it's not really, I wouldn't really say it's a cop-out, but it does kind of come back to what you establish with the client as, as that, as that line. And it could be very minimal or it could be a very large level of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because I'm just thinking like, let's say that a consultant wraps up a
0: project and it's kind of done, but then an issue comes back. Does it come back onto the consultant where you got to reach out to the consultant again? Or is it that at that point it's, you know, the the company's got to make their own decisions or, you know, Uh, Hire a different consultant or maybe re-engage the previous one. Is there any type of, you know, um, uh, after the fact, so to speak, responsibility?
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's that's going to depend on the on the client and it's going to depend on the project. Some things by their nature are just kind of one and done uh, sorts of sorts of engagements. Um, especially when you're talking about things with FDA, though, it can be an ongoing thing and there might be multiple rounds of questions that might come interactively. And so knowing upfront as you're going through the process, well, okay, so we're going to, we're going to develop the submission, then we're going to send it in. You, you're likely to get a whole bunch of questions. Here's how, here's how we can help you with, with managing all of those communications talking through all the questions, kind of getting a good understanding of what they're asking for and why they're asking for it. And then just keeping the engagement going throughout the process. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff, man. Um, as a
0: personal, as a side note, how'd you decide after 16 years to, to leave the the FDA and and do consulting?
1: It's just ended up being the right opportunity at, at the right time. Um, I think that that's just kind of what it boils down to Uh, the opportunity presented itself. And after much soul searching, I I decided it would be a really good move for me, um, both both professionally and and personally. And I mean, I I really like the idea of being able to stay with neuro devices specifically, because that's that's what I've reviewed. That's that's what I know really, really well. Um, and certainly, from the FDA perspective, all the all the regulations and guidance documents and everything, and being able to work in and with the system to try and move things forward. And, and I'll be honest; like, I don't want things to drag out. I would rather just get things done efficiently and move on to the the next big project that you have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said at the very beginning, that's one thing I appreciated or took note of as far as your background and your philosophy as far as, you know, how do we become more efficient? How do we be transparent um, and make things understandable in order to to expedite the process? Um, You know, as far as transparency, I think a lot of times, like you were saying, a lot of times I think companies are still looking at regulatory as an afterthought. They're focused on everything but the regulatory and then saying, OK, now we need regulatory to come in versus how do we make regulatory a strategic partner from the onset so that uh, everything on the back end truly can be expedited versus running into issues that you never might necessarily thought of in the right sequential order, right, that creates obstacles for you in the in the on the back end. That's why I was curious when I asked you, hey, what did startups get wrong? I'm still wondering I'm wondering if you're seeing that too where regulatory was kind of, you know, they knew it was important but they didn't necessarily see it as a strategic piece to their uh, go-to-market strategy up front.
1: You know, I think a lot of the startups these days probably do think about regulatory fairly early on in the process, especially if you've been working with uh, some accelerators or, or other incubators, mm-hmm. um, just just because that's that's on everybody's minds, and I'm sure that investors are probably asking those sorts of questions. If you're if you're going to be pitching somebody, they probably want to know what have like do you, what sense do you have for what sort of classification you might be? Um, are you going to be PMA? Are you going to be de novo? Um, are you potentially trying to go for HDE? Um, are you thinking mostly about the U.S. versus internationally, uh, and all those sorts of things? So I, I would tend to say that you you probably see a lot more consideration for it in the early stages these days. But again, the the question is getting back to your point of well, what do they get wrong? And, and my point being, well, it's it's not really too never really too early to engage because again even if I could just have that one hour conversation with you in the early stages when you might be more resource constrained, Mm -hmm. I can try and give you a sense at a high level, at least, um, what those various touch points might be throughout the process and just give you a sense for, okay, like as you're going along, once you reach these certain points, that's when you might want to start thinking about these different types of submissions. That's awesome. Well, I, I really
0: appreciate you being here and sharing your insight. It's a unique perspective having worked um, you know for the government. And in, in a way, you work a consultant. You reviewed so many different types of devices at different stages for different reasons, which is cool. And now here you are in, in the private world um, doing something similar. And I, I know that you guys are doing some great stuff at, at Micra. And it's really awesome how many different divisions that you have and how many sub-niches you guys a cover. And the cool thing is if somebody needs regulatory help, but they also want other cross-functional expertise, you know, opinions, it's right there all in-house. So if it's good with you, what we'll do is, in a link uh, to the podcast. We'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile as well as a link to Micra's website so people can check it out um, and, uh, and go from there. But nonetheless, I really appreciate your expertise and, and you being a part of the show today.
1: I appreciate you inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.